Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBrief podcast all about the foreign exchange market, where we break down some of the main news headlines in financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of FX. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBrief, and I'm joined as always on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer, Enrique Diaz-Alvarez, and Market Analyst, Roman Zuruk. Welcome back, everyone, after a little bit of an enforced break for us over the past few weeks, and many apologies to, to our regular listeners in particular. Um, but we're back today with a, a new episode with plenty for us to discuss in the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, and it's been a rather eventful past two or three weeks in the FX market. Um, for the most part, in the last month, we've seen an improvement in risk sentiment. The safe havens have generally underperformed, notably the Japanese yen, which has slumped to around it's lowest level at any time since I started working in the FX industry. And at the release of this recording, may well have fallen to its lowest level since 2002. The high-risk currencies have generally rebounded, notably the Australian dollar and Norwegian kroner in the G10. Uh, while among the emerging market currencies, Brazilian Rao, South African Rand, for instance, and notably the Russian ruble uh, have led the rebound. Uh, news out of the war in Ukraine has far from improved, uh, intense fighting has continued and there appears to be little breakthrough in peace talks. Uh, but the market is at least hopeful that the economic fallout will be contained. Um, the PMIs out of the Eurozone, uh, at least covering the invasion period, have held up relatively well. Um, that said, the dollar has recovered quite a bit of ground so far in April uh, as the market prices in a very aggressive pace of interest rate hikes from the Federal Reserve uh, and US bond yields subsequently rise to fresh highs, which we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. Uh, Euro dollar in particular uh, has suffered. Uh, the main pair dropped below the 109 level uh, in the past few trading sessions and the common currency has actually been the worst performer in the G10 in the past month, aside from the Japanese yen. Uh, so that's going to be my main question um, first up for you guys. Why do you think we've seen this underperformance in euro dollar in the past month? Yeah, so from my standpoint, the initial reaction of the euro had to do uh, to its uh, because of the terms of trade uh, shock that the uh, eurozone experienced. The conditions have significantly deteriorated, and this has, uh, in my view, dragged down the common currency. Uh, but uh, right now and in the past few weeks, I think that what we have seen is a, a deterioration in sentiment, a, a further deterioration in sentiment. Uh, we are seeing that the war in Ukraine is ongoing. Mm, we don't see the peace talks uh, going anywhere right now. And as you said, the intense fighting is continuing. Uh, we also have some uh, internal issues uh, within the Eurozone. There is this uh, risk right now uh, related to the Macron and Le Pen presidential election. And I think to some extent, the Euro might uh, be reacting to it uh, at this point in time. So, and also, uh, if we look at the euro, in addition to those factors, uh, the currency has also uh, probably been pressured as uh, many other currencies because of uh, the uh, increase in expectations towards monetary policy tightening in the US and a, also a sharp increase in US uh, yields. 
particularly recently, we saw a significant increase in the long-term yield. Uh, if we look at the 10-year, uh, in less than a month, it has jumped uh, half a percentage point, and this right now not far from 3%. Uh, we have seen some moves in the Eurozone, but not to the same extent. So that would be my view on the situation. I would, I would largely agree with that, except I think that, uh, that uh, the French election is having less impact. I don't think you need uh, jitters over the potential defeat of Macron in the second round to really justify the downdraft in the euro. It's enough that uh, the Federal Reserve has, in the U.S., has, has gone all out with a hawkish message. Um, the uh, markets are pricing in uh, the fastest pace in, in increases in interest rates uh, in the U.S. ever in the year 2022. Uh, whereas the ECB at first has been lagging this sort of like hawkish con consensus among central banks. I think that last week we saw for the first time in the minutes of the ECB a uh, serious hawkish turn. I think that's going to take some time to filter to the market. I think that also we will see on Thursday uh, at the ECB meeting uh, a significant turn, hawkish turn in the communications of, 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 the, of the central bank. But until the market is satisfied that the ECB uh, is, is also uh, taking inflation seriously, no longer seen as transitory like the Fed has, uh, the downward pressure on the euro will continue. Um, then again, it's the the uh, the war in Ukraine affects the, the eurozone far more than it does the U.S. Uh, but I have to say that even there, the the PMIs, like you well said, uh, Matthew, the PMIs in the eurozone continue to be consistent with strong growth. So I think that the the danger of a recession in the eurozone is is being uh, is, is is minimal and and market reaction is overdone. So I think that once we 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 get uh, the the this issue, the, the, the full hawkish turn out of the European Central Bank, we could probably see a good a solid rebound in the euro. Yeah, and after the French election are done, and as we expect, if Macron wins, then it would also open the possibility uh, for the euro to move higher. I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree with you guys. I think we have seen a little bit of a culmination. Uh, in fact, is in the last few weeks has led to this uh, slight underperformance in euro dollar. As you mentioned, geopolitical and political uncertainty. No sign yet of, a, of an end to the war in Ukraine. We heard from Putin today that uh, the talks have reached a dead end, which is quite concerning. Um, the longer that the fighting continues, obviously, the worse it is for the Eurozone economy and for the euro. Um, as you mentioned, yeah, the French election, I don't think the market is, is overly concerned at the moment. Um, albeit it's not a done deal just yet. I, I think the TV debate, I think it's on the 20th of April, a few days before the runoff vote will be interesting. We could see a bit of a swing in some of the undecided voters in favour of the pen, albeit I think the risk there is pretty minimal. Um, and as you already mentioned, Enrico, the, the, the big question I think is really is, can we see a bit of a rebound following uh, this Thursday's ECB meeting? Um, my, my view is there's perhaps there is a scope for a move higher. Um, as we've been saying, the latest inflation data Globally, we said for a while, has continued to exceed expectations. We saw that again in the eurozone in March. It rose to 7.5%, which is a fresh record high. Uh, this is likely to fuel, uh, I think, a hawkish turn from Lagarde. Um, uh, indeed, we're already seeing that growing chorus of hawkish dissent among governing council members. I expect Lagarde to acknowledge that and acknowledge uh, increased concerns over the inflation outlook. 
Um, you know, let's, let's see if they announce an end date to the APP program. I, I suspect that they may well do that, which could be a bit of a Euro positive. Um, and there is, I think, a good chance they could wind down asset purchases to zero by at least sort of June, July time, which would leave the door open to a hike in the summer or September at the very latest. Um, but, but yeah, Roman, what do you think? Uh, what are your thoughts on the ECB? The thing? ECB stone will continue to move towards a more hawkish. And I think a, another uh, recalibration is uh, quite possible this time around. Mm, and I also am getting uh, more and more convinced that we might see an interest rate hikes or two interest rate hikes this year from the ECB. And uh, with regards to the expectations uh, for the interest rate hikes, the market uh, has uh, moved uh, the expectations more in line with uh, reality, I think, particularly after a recent inflation surprise in the Eurozone. But with regards to a future moves, particularly in uh, 2023, I think that those expectations are still limited. So uh, my view is that uh, if we see a repricing there, then the euro might uh, receive another boost. Yes, I agree. Uh, regardless, thing is, Thursday's meeting will be a very interesting one. And uh, as, as is usually the case, the volatility in the euro will likely be relatively elevated in a couple of days leading up to the meeting and obviously the, the aftermath um, on Thursday afternoon. Um, we'll move on now. I, I mentioned earlier about the increase uh, in US bond yields that we've seen uh, of late, which has been behind what we think much of the rally in the US dollar since the start of the month. Um, the US benchmark 10-year Treasury yield uh, rose above 2.8% earlier this week, which is an increase of uh, around 100 basis points since the start of March, which is a very violent move. We've seen a bit of a retracement after Tuesday's US inflation data. While the headline was in line with expectations, the core number slightly missed the estimate of economists. And that said, the market still sees a very aggressive pace of interest rate hikes from the Fed this year in, in response to the inflation overshoot, which has fueled this move higher in yields. Fed fund futures are now pricing in around about 220 basis points of additional hikes from the Fed in 2022, which is double the pace that the market expected at the start of March and around about the equivalent of nine 25 basis point moves. Uh, the question really now is, is not whether the Fed will hike at the next meeting, but by how much. Uh, 50 basis point hike looks highly likely, um, but um, we'll have to wait uh, until the first week of May uh, in order to find out. Um, but what do you both guys both think of the, first of all, the, the move higher uh, in US yields and also this aggressive repricing we've seen uh, in Fed interest rate hikes? Yes, so it was quite interesting to see the repricing in yields, but particularly interesting was maybe not the move itself, but how the EM currency spectrum reacted to it and how the dollar reacted. So we saw some dollar strength that can be related to this move higher in yields, the repricing of hikes and also the increase in the uh, longer uh, term. Uh, nonetheless, uh, compared to what we saw uh, at similar occasions a year ago and uh, somewhat even earlier, uh, we uh, didn't have a very significant sell-off in the EM currency spectrum. I think it has to do with the fact that many of those countries are raising interest rates uh, alongside uh, the Federal Reserve, uh, and some have uh, actually been uh, even much more hawkish than the Fed. So uh, this is providing uh, this is an interesting 
shift in the situation in which there is some immunity for those currencies and the dollar actually is not receiving um, that uh, much strength from it. And I also think that the going forward, there is a limited uh, amount uh, that can be priced in above what we see right now. Uh, and I, I would find it hard to believe that rates can move at this rate uh, going further and that we are going to see a significantly higher rates in the future in the US. Um, I'm going to disagree with Roman. Uh, I think that there's still room for yields to move higher. I think that what we're seeing is a normalization from a relatively an abnormal uh, yield environment that we had seen in the U.S. over the last few years. Uh, let's not forget that real yields, this, these are the yields, the interest rate that you get on securities that are protected against inflation are still negative, which is something that in the, over, over the last 30 years has been uh, only happening in the last four or five years, partly as a result of this Federal Reserve massive purchases of bonds that have distorted the, uh, the, yield, the, the bond market. Uh, as, uh, you, as these uh, real yields move higher to a more normal level of, uh, from, from currently still negative levels to something like at least point zero, uh, positive 0.5 to 1%, there's uh, just on the basis of that moving real yields, there is, there is uh, room for another increase of uh, 50 to 100 basis, basis points across the curve, the treasury bond curve. So I would disagree that, uh, that, uh, that yields have limited scope to move higher. I think they can continue to move higher. And I think that the catalyst may be precisely the fact that the Federal Reserve is not only stepping away from purchasing bonds, uh, from being by far the biggest buyer of treasury bonds in the market, to now actually being a net seller to the tune of $100 billion a month. Uh, that's that that to me is going to help along the normalization of the treasury market. Uh, even as, even if we assume that the inflation has not moved permanently higher than what we're seeing is transitory, and that we will move back to uh, to a two percent level of the medium term in inflation, which is a lot to assume, uh, that to me is totally consistent with treasury yields uh, above three percent and somewhere between three and four percent, depending on where you are in the curve. So I think that there's there's room to move higher. I do agree with Roman that uh, it's it's surprising how little the dollar has benefited from this truly massive moving, moving yields that has where, where most uh, other currencies the the yield curves have been lagging the U.S. So even as the rate differentials between the U.S. and other countries have been widening, the dollar has risen, but only only very little. Um, it's 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 interesting. That uh, that decoupling of the dollar from U.S. yields. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that's probably the um, the most noteworthy aspect of this. I think the, the fact that we look at emerging market currencies in particular, that generally when we see such a significant move higher in U.S. yields, we see many of these emerging market currencies sell off pretty violently. Actually, as you've been saying, we've seen some moves lower, but but actually they've been rather contained. Um, I, I agree with you, Ray. I mean, I, partly, I think, in response to the fact that a lot of these emerging market central banks are, are raising interest rates aggressively themselves, which is providing a bit of support and, and alleviating the moves over there. Um, with regards to the Fed, it's going to be very interesting this year. I mean, the, the market's obviously pricing in a very aggressive pace of hikes, at more than 220 basis points of additional hikes during the remainder of the year, which is a lot. Um, and perhaps... I would say slightly more than I would expect. Um, having said that, I, I thought there was a good argument 
in favour of a 50 basis point move at the last meeting. Uh, the war in Ukraine ensured that we only got a 20, 25 basis point hike. But I certainly expect a half a percentage point move at uh, the me- next meeting at the beginning of next month. And then probably again in June as well. Um, I think it's becoming increasingly clear that the Fed uh, and the Fed's tolerance for high inflation is waning pretty fast. Um, uh, and particularly, well, particularly if we continue to get um, overshoots. And yeah, only adding one thing to, to the yields discussion is that uh, right now we are in an environment where everyone is focused on inflation and particularly in the United States. Today we had the inflation data. Um, nonetheless, uh, in three or six months from now, I think that people will start to be increasingly more focused on growth. And this is the case that we have seen in some countries that have started tightening cycles much earlier than the Federal Reserve. Um, for instance, Czechia. Um, and I think that if this is going to be the case, and this is quite likely in my view, then this should put some cap on the yields and uh, possibly even uh, reverse uh, the direction that they are going to head. And the shorter term yields, which are more reliant on the expectations towards the Fed move, uh, they also uh, might start not being as uh, aggressively repriced if the expectations towards hikes will uh, cool, uh, considering that uh, the, the discussion may start focusing more on growth. Excellent. Uh, we're going to move on now and bring back our buy, sell uh, and hold segment. And this week's currency in question will be the Mexican peso. Uh, the peso has been one of the better performing emerging market currencies in the past month. It's rallied by almost 5% against the dollar to pretty much bang in line with our forecast, actually, around the 19.5 to 19.75 level. Uh, now, perhaps I can start. Uh, and for me, I think uh, perhaps we're at a point now with a peso where I would where I would hold, but to still have an optimistic view long term for the currency. Um, the peso has had a lot going for it in the past few months. Interest rates have been increased very aggressively by the country's central bank. We've seen 200 basis points of hikes since November. Um, which is very much improving the peso's appeal from a carry trade perspective. Uh, tends to see the currency outperform during periods of improving risk sentiment, as we've seen in the past month or so. Um, Mexico's fundamentals are also strong. The current account has improved. External debt is also relative, relatively contained. Um, my reservation would perhaps be uh, the extent of the moves that we've already seen in the currency. Um, the peso is trading almost 10% higher than where it was in November. So perhaps the scope for an additional move may be relatively limited in the near term. Um, and also I would expect a closing in interest rate differential between the US and Mexico this year as the Fed raises interest rates, as we've already been saying, it looks like they're going to hike rates very aggressively. Uh, and that has tended to weigh disproportionately on the peso in the past, given its highly liquid status. Um, so as far as the peso is concerned, perhaps a hold for me in the near term, but I would say maybe a soft buy in the longer term. Um, but what do you guys think on the Mexican peso? I think it would be hold for me as well. Uh, I think the higher interest rates that are expected to increase further, which is not the case in all of the Latin American countries. Some of them are nearing the end of the hiking cycles or most likely, uh, such as Brazil. And this is, in my view, an argument in favor of the peso. Also, uh, the P- 
peso did not uh, react uh, too positively to increase in commodity prices, as have some Latin American countries. In fact, it's right now reacting positively to a decline in commodity prices. Uh, it is a manufacturing country with a much more uh, significant share of manufacturing in its economy compared to its peers, uh, almost uh, double uh, relative to some. Mm, and it has uh, been like this for the past few years. So obviously a, a cheaper commodities is positive for the uh, manufacturing sector. So, uh, and but looking at the move, I think that it has been quite significant uh, recently, as you said. So uh, I would think that uh, it probably has some more room to run, uh, maybe in the medium and longer term, but short term, I would probably be a, a bit cautious uh, about the peso, uh, considering the extent of the appreciation. Yeah, I think I think uh, Roman put it very well. Uh, Mexico is not so much, it's less of a commodity country, the exporting country than others in Latin America, more of a manufacturing hub for uh, the United States. And uh, as such, it could be it could suffer a little bit from the, the trend towards deglobalization and reintegration of supply chains in country. Um, it's not clear that uh, that I wouldn't. I would definitely not sell it. But uh, if you're going to play on the general repricing of commodities and the value of commodities in the world economy, there's better places to do that, especially in Latin America. The Brazilian real and the Colombian peso and even the Chilean peso are probably pure plays which in, for commodities. In Mexico, it remains to be seen how well the, the, the maquiladora system, the manufacturing components all along the northern border, how they weather this, this trend towards reversal of uh, globalization of supply chains. So I would, I would hold as well on the Mexican peso, especially after the recent revaluation. And that's it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the FX market, visit Ebreed's website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to hear more on during upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a fortnight's time. Thank you all very much for listening.